Well, last week was one of my favorite Thanksgivings that I can remember. Terry and I, along with my mom and our dog, Daisy, drove together to Texas to celebrate Thanksgiving with our three children and their families. And we stayed there for three days and then we made the trek back home. And we decided, and, and, and when I say we, I mean I decided that we would make that trek to my mom's house in Washington, Missouri in one shot, driving through the night, a trip that would take about 16 hours. And it was about 13 hours into the trip, about, uh, about 1 a.m., where we stopped for fuel near Springfield, Missouri. And then I jumped back on the interstate and determined to beat the time my GPS said I would arrive. Now, I'm not sure when, but I believe it was about 10 to 15 minutes later that I saw a road sign that told me that Tulsa was 146 miles. And I, and I thought that strange because I'd already been through Tulsa. And so like what highway worker put the wrong sign on the wrong side of the highway? I mean, somebody had made a big mistake. And, and then it was about five or 10 minutes later that I looked down at my GPS to see if I was beating the challenge time that it had laid out before me, only to notice that now it said that I was going to arrive at 3.45 a.m. instead of 3.15 a.m., which it had read just a few minutes earlier. So I, I, I closed down the app and, and reopened the app and started it and put in our destination. And, and it only routed me off the highway and, and back in the other direction. And I'm like, something's wrong with the app. And so I closed down the app again and I open it up and surprise, it's telling me the same thing, to get off the next exit and turn around and go the other way. And then, and then I would be arriving at like 4.15 in the morning. And it's like, no, this, this makes no sense. And so as I'm getting ready to just like turn the, turn the, the app off altogether, turn my phone off altogether, my mom wakes up and, and reads a road sign. And she said, hadn't we already gone through Tulsa? And it was at that moment that this lightning bolt like ran through my brain and connected all of these things. And it was in that moment that I realized I was going the wrong way. I was going the wrong way. Tony Diekman was going the wrong way. The, the master navigator had, had made a mistake. He jumped back on the highway and started going west instead of east. I got off at the exit, at the very next exit, went back underneath the highway and got back on going the other direction. I had traveled 26 miles in a direction that had already come. And, and, and what ended up happening was I wasted an hour going in the wrong direction. And well, I, I tell you this story because no matter how good you think you are at navigating, no matter how many times you've, you've traveled down a particular road, it's easier than you think to get turned around especially when you believe yourself beyond making those kind of rookie mistakes. Now, the same thing is true when it comes to following Jesus. And I, I think it's even more of a challenge because he doesn't always take the same path. He doesn't always follow Google or the map that you have routed. And, and if we're not careful, and if we could find ourselves traveling in the wrong direction for a long time, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, we've learned that we must constantly keep our eye on him because distractions, 
especially during the Christmas season, are many. And then throw in that our ability to reason away the signs that should tell us that we're headed in the wrong direction. Signs like mounting credit card debt and closets full of clothes and, and toys that we don't use. I mean, here, here's a pop quiz. You know, I don't like pop quizzes, but here's a pop quiz. In two seconds, tell me, or say out loud, a Christmas present you received two years ago. Go. Harder than you thought, right? Could you name one? Could you name a Christmas present you received last year? If, if, if they were so important, if they contained so much value, why is it we can't remember the things that we gave? Why is it we can't remember the stuff that we think this year is so important? Now add to that all the debt and the stuff and the stress and the exhaustion of chasing after the stuff and, and, and paying off the debt. And don't you want to ask yourselves a question like, why? Why do we continue to do this? Why do we continue year after year to put ourselves through this? Why do we do this when Christians, when as Christians, we know the reason for the season? So today in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, I want us to focus our attention on one sign. One sign that if we pause long enough and, and often enough and absorb its message can reroute our lives, can reorient our hearts at Christmas and, and, and possibly, maybe, throughout the year. And the sign is the manger. I want us to focus on the manger because Luke, today's gospel writer, emphasizes in the manger, emphasizes the manger in the text that we read just a few minutes ago. See, reading familiar stories like is like traveling down familiar highways because you, you've driven the road so many times you can drive right by significant things. Sometimes it takes somebody else to drive or maybe somebody politely to say, are, are you sure you're going in the right direction for us to actually see it? I had that experience with this text. It was uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright in one of his commentaries on the Gospel of Luke who pointed this out. He pointed out that three times in, in the period of just 20 short verses, those verses we just heard read three times in that text, Luke mentions the manger. Three times. Now, I've read that story many times, and I never stepped to ask why. I, I didn't ask why. You know, I, I've learned that when you study Scripture and you see something that repeats, especially something that repeats in such a short section— that you should stop and ask the question why, but I never stopped and asked the question why. Why didn't I ever stop and ask the question why? Well, maybe you're saying, well, because that's maybe kind of the way you are, don't you? You miss obvious things. But maybe it could be because I've gotten familiar with the text. Maybe I've become too familiar with the text, and maybe I thought there was nothing else that I could glean from the text. But I've discovered that that just isn't true. And, and maybe you, like me, have missed some significant things in this story. And, and, and so today I want to focus on the manger 
because I believe it provides us an opportunity to see something very significant, something that Luke emphasizes in this scene. That's what I would like for us to explore today. And as we begin, I would ask that you would bow your heads and pray with me. So Father in heaven, we gather in the name of Jesus today. We gather here to once again be taught by you, to, to explore your word and to see things that possibly we haven't seen before, to see the things that we've seen before, but to really absorb the message of those, those things that you're trying to teach us so that we could actually fold those messages into our hearts and into our minds and that they would change the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves, and certainly the way we see you. I would ask you in this time to, to teach us, to mold us and shape us more into the image of your Son for his sake. Amen. Well, if you were here with us last week, you, you heard the message from, from Adam at uh, Collective Chicago, and the, the thing that stuck with me from his message, one of the images that stuck with me from his message, was that picture of the manger scene created out of trash between the two dumpsters. It was that picture that stuck with me and sent me on a path to eventually asking the question, why? Why does Luke mention the manger three times in this short period of text? I mean, three times. In verse 7, he says that, the, that Mary, she will give birth to her firstborn, a son, and she will wrap him in clothes and place him in a manger. And then again in verse 12, when the angel is speaking to the, to the shepherds, he says that this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then again in verse 16, he says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So to better understand, let's look at what Luke is actually saying, what he's telling us, and, and why I believe this is significant, why it's important that he mentions the manger three times. He begins by telling us this in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. He says that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken out of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Augustus Caesar, the Caesar at that time, was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He became sole ruler of the Roman world after a bloody civil war. Augustus turned the great Roman Republic into a Roman Empire with him as the head. He proclaimed that he brought justice and peace to the entire world and declaring his dead father as God, therefore making him the son of God. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. He was the king. He was the Lord. And it was at this time Far from Rome, another story was unfolding, a story about the birth of another king. And it was in this story that Luke continues. He said, so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
Now, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, why is that significant? Well, we see that that Mary and Joseph were residing and were living in Nazareth. They had yet to be married. She was still his betrothed, but they were living in Nazareth, both of them. But because that Augustus had decreed a census be taken, it was customary for people to travel not to their own local town, but to actually to the town where their, their people lived, their, their original town. And since he was from the line of David, he would travel to the city of David, and that was Bethlehem. And so it was because Augustus declared that there would be a decree issued that a census would be taken that caused Mary and Joseph to travel to this small little town called Bethlehem. Now, why is that so significant? Well, it was the prophet Micah about 700 years earlier that said this. He said, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's significant because it tells us that this child born in this manger was long ago prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Augustus, Caesar, decreed that a census be taken, which caused Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Interesting how God works, isn't it? Let's go on with the story. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, we read this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, the manger was a sign to the shepherds. It told them which baby they were looking for. As Jews, they would have known what it meant for this baby to be called a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Finding the baby in the manger showed them that the angel knew exactly what he was talking about. And more than that, the shepherds, are an extra confirmation to Mary and Joseph and, and to what the angel spoke to them, that the angel who spoke to them, the angel Gabriel, knew what he was talking about. What was a secret to them had now been announced not only to the shepherds, but the shepherds were now announcing it to the world. What a marvelous proclamation, this story that the true king, the true savior, the Messiah was coming into the world. And so why is this manger important? Well, N.T. Wright tells us that the manger in itself, it's not important. The manger itself is a sign. It's a finger pointing to the identity and the task of the baby boy who's lying in it. 
The manger is important only because of who's lying in the manger. It was the long-awaited Messiah, God's anointed. Yet, at that time, neither Mary or Joseph or the shepherds or anyone else who knew that, who heard that story, knew fully what that meant. None of them knew exactly what that meant, the implications of what was happening that night. It would take another 33 years for the angel's message to be fully explained. It would take a cross and an empty tomb for people to know who was really lying in the manger that night. It was God himself in that feed trough. It was God in flesh that Mary was holding in her arms. It was God himself that the shepherds were gazing upon. And at the time, they had no idea exactly what they were looking at. However, that's not true for those of us who live on this side of Easter. When we see the manger in neighborhood nativity scenes or in store windows or displayed in our homes, Luke wants us to remember who was lying in that feed trough and why he was lying there. It was God lying there. And he was lying there so that he could eventually lay down his own life upon a cross so that, so that you could be with him and that he could be with you. Let that sink in for a moment. God endured being birthed having his diaper changed, being circumcised, being laughed at, mocked, beaten, and crucified on a criminal's cross, and dying. Not for his sins, but for ours. So that you and I could be with him now and for eternity. God himself endured that and more just to be with you. So what does that mean, and what does that have to do with this Advent conspiracy? The baby lying in the manger ushered in an entirely new reality. The reality that a person's worth is not defined by their bank account, their address, their profession, their status, their ethnicity, their nationality, or by the amount of presents they buy at Christmas. The manger is a sign that you now hear me again, that manger is a sign that you, you are enough. You are enough for God. Everything he did, he did for you. And not for the gifts that you bring him, not for the worship songs that you sing, not for the tithes and the offerings that you give him. No, he did all of that just for you so that he could be with you. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling everyone who will listen, 
not to buy into this lie that the stuff that you have, the things that you buy are the important things. The, the true treasure of God is you. The true treasure of God is people. The true treasure of God is your neighbor. It's the stuff. It's the people in your family. That is what Jesus died for. He didn't die for your stuff. He died for you. And he died for the world. And he died for people that don't know him. And he calls you and I to value people over possessions. To be diligent and intentional about storing up those treasures, storing up people, telling people about what Jesus has done, telling people that they are enough for God, that he died for them as well. See, partnering with Chicago Collective this Christmas season isn't about trying to be acceptable to God. It's not trying to be seen as good to God. It's about helping others. Others with considerably less understand that just because they have less doesn't mean they are less. It's about partnering with an organization that helps individuals see that they are valuable to God. It's an opportunity for the people of Trinity, people who know what the manger means, to intentionally spend less on ourselves this Christmas and to partner with an organization that invests in people, the true treasure of God. Watch this. Uh, hello, my name is Christopher Lee, um, 18. I'm George Oliva. I'm from the west side of Chicago, the west side of Humble Park. I originally grew up in Austin and East Garfield neighborhood. I grew, my mom was from a third world country. My dad was, you know, dead when I was young. We've been like getting kicked out of places. We lived in hotels, almost shelters, you know. We've been living like off social security and stuff like that, so it's been hard for us. And then trying to maintain, it was days, weeks, we went without eating. I ended up coming to the United States when I was like nine. I was kicked out on the street after 10. We always had to like go fend for ourselves. Even though we was a family, everybody tried to fend for themselves. Like the last three years, I was really going through hell. And uh, um, I was, I was uh, like suffering through depression and then um, I didn't have nowhere to live. Not even money, just like to have food in my stomach and uh, have a, like, a place to stay at night and just, you know, sleeping on the train. My freshman year, I got into a little bit of trouble, you know, stuff like that. My dad died, I was under 15, and 13 days after my dad died, I got shot four times. Like, trying to recover, arm was broke, you know, stomach cut open. I had, a, like, three surgeries. Um, I got connected with this uh, organization called Trilogy. Um, they helped me. But the shelter that I was living in was closing, so they found me the collective. After, after all that, I tried to get in more programs, trying to find more jobs. My mentor, she um, <laughs> she been trying to get me like stuff like these, and then once, once the uh, opening came up for the collective, she been looking to a lot of stuff. She jumped on it. She called me while I was at work <laughs> and told me to do the application, so I went in the bathroom during work. <laughs> and I did, <laughs> and I did the application. And I went through the uh, interview process, which is great, you know, 
meeting Adam for the first time was great. I remember I got there and I was like, wait, this doesn't look like a shelter. So I took a picture with my phone and said to a friend, I'm like, yo, this is where I am. If I don't leave in 30 minutes, um, come look for me. <laughs> so I would say the collective is like a, I wouldn't say a housing, I'd say like, I say like, I wouldn't say temporary housing. I say like people that's taking you in as they own, like a family as of right now. Even though you might not be in a for so long, you feel like you'll feel like you're a part of something or you feel like you're family. I went in, had dinner with the guys. It was refreshing, it was new, it wasn't a shelter, it was kinda like a home. No, I felt comfortable the first day, you know. Um, even though sometimes I would hide a, a golf club, you know, the pillow, you know, just because, you know, you never know, you never know, you know, and they did find it. <laughs> you know, like doing group albums, I wasn't doing group albums with my family, like, it, so, and it being experienced to new things like food, all these different type of food, all these different new places and people, if I don't care for them, I feel like my day not complete. Like, if I don't ask them what's wrong, even I can be hurt myself, but I still check on them. One thing I want to say is that, like, they seen the good person that I was. They seen the best that I was when a lot of people wasn't able to see, you know, the good in me, you know? I like, you know, just being brought into, like, a family that I never really had, you know, just being out on the streets so long that you forget how to trust people. You forget that there are good people out there that don't want anything in return. They just want to be good and see people succeed. And that was, uh, that was that's what I appreciated most. People who follow Jesus, who understand the true meaning of Christmas, can, if we're not intentional, if we're not paying attention, we can at times along the way get turned around and begin traveling in the wrong direction, getting caught up in the thousands of messages that tell us that material wealth and the abundance of things are the source of happiness and significance in this world. My prayer for us today is that the manger that the manger that the baby was lying in might become a reminder of the true meaning of Christmas this year and always. A reminder that Jesus intentionally came into our world to usher into, an, into this world a new existence, an existence that would usher in a new kingdom with a different kind of king, the true king, the savior, the Lord a king who values people over possessions. My prayer is that the manger would be a sign to you now and always that you are enough. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of, of who you are and why you came. Father, may we not forget who you are. When we, when we pass by windows and, and when we gaze upon the manger scenes that we see this Christmas season, may we be reminded that we are enough to you. Even when we, we still buy into, even when we do stare at our, our credit card debt, that we would be reminded that we are enough for you. Father, give us strength this Christmas season to spend less on ourselves. 
and to invest in what's truly important to you, into the relationships of the people around us and into the relationships of people that have yet to know who you are and just how valuable they are to you. Father, give us strength. Give us, give us the hope of Jesus that we can share with the world this Christmas season. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.